Welcome to the GEM series, powered by Rocket Level. On this podcast, we empower entrepreneurs to succeed by setting big goals, executing like a pro, and having a fearless mindset. The GEM series is all about investing in yourself. We're here to share the path to getting what you want out of life by sharing the stories of entrepreneurs who have done this themselves, providing thorough research from our team on what careers and habits are yielding the best results, and discussing the mindset it takes to overcome the obstacles that all future entrepreneurs will face. Investing in yourself starts with putting in the work every single day, and this podcast is here to help you do exactly that. My name is Blake Chapman. I'm the Vice President of the Ambassador Program here at Rocket Level, and I am thrilled to be your host for the GEM series. Hello, and welcome to today's GEM series. I am absolutely thrilled to welcome today's guest, Amanda Neely. Uh, Amanda is an entrepreneur uh, running both Profit First and Bank on Yourself Professional and the co-host of Grandma's Wealth Wisdom Financial Podcast with her husband, Brandon Neely. It's uh, really, really great, by the way. Everybody should check it out. Uh, they also founded and managed Overflow Coffee Bar, uh, L3C, from 2008 through 2018. Now they share experiential knowledge through podcasting and through developing personalized financial strategies for individuals and couples and profitability strategies for businesses. And who doesn't need that right now? (laughs) Amanda, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Hey, I'm thrilled to have you on. Uh, So Amanda, for those who don't know you, would you mind sharing a a little bit about yourself with with our audience here? For sure. The thing you need to know about me is that I'm an activist at heart. From an early age, I forced my parents to start recycling. I watched Save the Whale documentaries. When I left college, I went into the nonprofit sector. My whole life has been about how do I make this world better? How do how do we, you know, change the world? And I learned very quickly after a couple of years in the nonprofit sector that there's some really cool stuff happening in business that's making the world a better place all the time. And so dove in head first and never looked back. Still love the nonprofit world, just found my home and what's right for me in business. Absolutely. And that is so cool and something that I feel like, you know, people talk about a lot, uh, but it's not something that I, I actually get to see people enter, you know, come into business from that perspective very often. So that's that's really exciting. So I'd love to hear a little bit more of the beginning. I love always hearing like the childhood stories and things like that. So yeah, when did you first start finding like that you cared about these things? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I'm a millennial. So I think it was kind of always there right on, you know, the TV or in the classroom, right? I think in elementary school, we like bought an acre in the rainforest, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of always been there. But when I like thought about different professions, what do I want to be when I grew up? They always had that. How do I make the future better? Even when I was thinking about like archaeology, right? I got my mom to get me a subscription to Archaeology Magazine. Yes, I'm a nerd. And um, I it love was, archaeology, archaeology okay. magazine too. It's great. <laughs> and it was like, I wanted to learn about the past so that I could make the future better, right? Mm, um, so that we don't repeat those same mistakes and you know, went thought about journalism for a while, but it was all about how do we tell stories to impact how people live the day to day and make sure that the most vulnerable are getting their stories told and, you know, things are changing for their betterment, all those kind of things. Maybe it's because my parents are in public assistance when I was born. My mom went back to college in her 30s to provide for our family. And I just didn't want any family to be experiencing poverty like mm. I had as a kid. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's so powerful and I'm sure shaped like, yeah, your, <laughs> your worldview. I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So going into, I guess, fast forwarding a little bit, what was your first goal whenever, because you're an entrepreneur and I'm like, oh my gosh, Amanda, you're doing so many different things. Do you remember whenever you first like set your sights on something that you wanted to, to go out and do and what that might've been? Oh, so many things. Probably the main one was college, right? I, I grew up in a family where I would be the first direct descendant to go to college. And my mom, you know, had, had gone and gotten associates in her thirties, but no one had ever gotten a bachelor's. And I, you know, if you've looked at my dad's, you know, lineage. And so that was a really big goal for me. And I thought long and hard about it. I read How to Pay for College, like a book about it when I was in junior high school. I've always been that kind of person that has a goal and figures out how to get there and doesn't think this, that there's any kind of limits or limitations to what I can do. Um, and so just kind of you know, learned as much as I could and believed I could do it and made it happen. Um, went, ended up going to a university that cost more than what my parents made in terms of tuition. Wow. So. Wow. And, and then you went and started your own business. Yeah. Like, <laughs> another big goal. Yeah. What, yeah. what, uh, what kind of brought you to that point? What was that season of life like for you whenever you were like, Oh my gosh, I think we're gonna, we're gonna go for it. And mm -hmm. do this. So my, yeah, my husband, Brandon, came up with the idea first. And I was like, nope, not doing it. Don't even think about it. But over time, started realizing the potential there. And I'll never forget the day that I was like, okay, we're doing this entrepreneurial thing. It was, I went, I was a grant writer at this nonprofit. And I was taking the, the funders to go see within an under-resourced neighborhood in Chicago what their money was doing in that neighborhood. And I arrive in my little, you know, suit and, you know, I'm, I'm there with the big wigs and we're looking around and I'm like, I'm on the wrong side. I need to be in this community, you know, boots on the ground, creating social change with these people, not arranging for some somebody with resources to give them money and tell them what to do. And that's when yeah. I realized, like, I'm in the wrong role. And when I looked in that community, I saw the folks doing the most social change there were the mom and pop small business owners. And then Absolutely. I started thinking, what kind of business would we start? And we love coffee. We had, you know, spent a lot of time in coffee shops. We thought, well, every coffee, you know, every community needs a third place, a place to rally around. And that's often the coffee shops. Historically, it's been there. So we started writing a business plan of how do we create this business that's doing good in the community, but also thinking about the sourcing and where things are coming from so that it's making a global impact at the same time. Never looked back. So, so cool. And I, I love what you touched on because I've all, I always am thinking like, how do we make the world a little bit better? And I feel like it always starts with our immediate network and then Absolutely. going outward, you know, and, and impacting the people closest to us. Uh, it seems like at least the most, the way that I can envision making a positive change. And that sounds like you did exactly that with, or that was sort of where your head was at whenever you were starting the, the coffee shop. Yeah. And over time we found a great way to, to think about that. That's a really great visual. Um, and it actually part of partly was inspired by Martin Luther King Jr. He said, "Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere." 
We're like, what if we do the inverse of that? What if we say justice or positive things happening anywhere could result in positive things happening everywhere? And that starts with the image there is a fountain at the top of the fountains. You and the more positive things you experience can overflow into positive things for your friends, your family, your immediate surroundings. The positive things you have can overflow to your neighborhood, your, you know, and then from there to your city, your state, your country, yeah. and eventually to the whole world. But guess what? Things happening positively around the world feed back up to you and make your life better. And to Absolutely. realize we're all part of this interconnected system, um, but it starts at the, t you know, with us at the top of each of our fountains and we all interconnect. It's, it's a, uh, a fun way to think about it that I think shows us the impact of the decisions we make daily. Absolutely. Absolutely. Our output, you know, it really, really uh, does matter. And it's something that I, I love that. I love that idea. I'm going to, I have that, like, I'm like etching it into my brain so mm -hmm. I can remember it right now. <laughs> it's really good. Thanks. Uh, so how, tell me, you know, how are you all feeling? Like, what was the, the preparation for getting ready to, to pull off something like that? You know, because uh, I know a lot of our audience is in a similar boat where they're like, oh, my gosh, like, I want to make an impact somewhere and I want to get started in some way. Like, uh, I don't know how to save money or I don't know how to do this or that, whatever it takes to like, what was mm -hmm. it like for you all? Yeah. So I got, I'd have to take you back. I was 25 then, I think somewhere around in there. And wow, such a young star. Yeah. <laughs> Still had student debt, didn't have any assets to my name, you know, nothing. Yeah. Um, didn't even own a car, right? We lived in the city. So we took public transit everywhere. And it, that was a big barrier at first. We thought we're never going to be able to do this. How are we going to get, you know, first the knowledge that we need, but then especially the money. And um, there was that, you know, 25 year old idealism in me as well. That's like, well, we'll figure it out. You know, yeah. if, if we're meant to do this, we'll figure it out. And so we just started sharing the story, sharing the dream with people. Um, we started bootstrapping. I connected with a coffee roaster. I'd take an empty suitcase on the L and pick up a bunch of bags of coffee and take them to friends and family that wanted to buy coffee and support us and get help uh, us get going. Mm -hmm. um, we, we started, you know, just figuring it out, sharing as much as possible. And there would be these connections, these little, you know, things that would happen that would open up doors that we didn't even know existed. One of those examples, um, a mentor of mine told me she had met someone who wanted to start a coffee shop in the same neighborhood that we were wanted to be in. And at first I was like, well, I don't want to meet them. They could be our competitor. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, yeah. no, that's very limiting. This, there could be multiple, there's a neighborhood big enough for all of us. Yeah. And so I said, hey, would you introduce me? Would love to hear what he's thinking about, if he's, you know, what locations, just networking. And he ended up not really wanting to start a coffee shop, but wanting to see one started. And he introduced mm -hmm. me to someone who knew a location and that location was more of this uh, partnership atmosphere where we didn't have to do everything ourselves. We could partner with other people, um, not, you know, like they were going to be redoing the floors and the ceilings. We could just pay for some upgrades to make it more our brand and more suitable for a coffee shop. And that yeah. saved us a ton of money by partnering that way. And it was like that kind of doors opening and connections happening because we didn't know any better. And we kept mm -hmm. just sharing the story and seeing 
what would what would happen as more and more people learned about the vision and decided how they wanted to come alongside, whether it was uh, buying a bag of coffee or partnering with us to help us redo a building so that we could open there at, at lower costs. Yeah, I, I think it's so amazing how powerful it is whenever you are driven by an outcome a little bit different than just making some money, yep. you know, because yep. I think that bleeds through into every conversation and people can get a real sense of, you know, how open-minded you are and, and what your, uh, you know, what your objective is with what you're trying to, trying to do and all kinds of really neat things happen. So that's, no, that's an amazing <laughs> example of, of that happening. Yeah. How would you say that your philosophy around taking risks has changed from then versus now? I always, mm -hmm. I'm curious about that too. Yeah. So this is where we have to fast forward two years into after we'd opened the coffee shop, we had put countless hours, you know, working for mm -hmm. just the tips in the tip jar that we, we made it happen. And that's when we realized just how on the edge financially we really were, just how much risk yeah. we had really taken. And we uh, thankfully met a financial planner. His name is Mark, who helped walk us back from that edge, build some nice foundations into our lives and into our business to make sure that we could make the world a better place, you know, achieve this vision of global and local impact, but not uh, file bankruptcy in the process or, you know, kind of the mantra at that point became we we won't solve poverty nearly as well from the edge of poverty ourselves. Absolutely. And so we started taking those small steps and building true foundational wealth that could not, we might not ever be rich, but we for sure would never be poor. And having that kind of mentality has driven us really far. It actually helped us sell that business when we were starting our family, which we never thought we would do when we were first starting, but it made sense when we got to that point, which we can get into yeah. that if you want. And it's driven us into the new business that we're in now. We're, that's exactly what we're doing for other business owners and entrepreneurs is creating that foundation that they know they can launch into riskier things from without it being as risky as if they didn't mm -hmm. have that foundation. Yeah, no, that's so essential. So what were the steps where you're like, oh my gosh, we got to, like, what What was the realization moment? And then like, yeah, I guess what's, I, I'd love to hear about that come to Jesus moment, so yeah. to speak, you <laughs> <Yeah>. know? <laughs> Absolutely. So it, it was actually, um, we were hosting these documentary screenings. Um, not everybody cares as much about coffee. Maybe they care about human trafficking or, you know, something else. And so we were doing some documentary screenings to just support other um, type of work. And uh, we met this guy, Mark, who he was like, I'd love to show a documentary about money because money drives so much of what happens in the world for so many people. And we're like, yeah, sure. Why not? Um, we didn't really know what he did or, you know, anything like that. We're just like, yeah, sounds good. We need a documentary to fill July of 2013 was the month. And, you know, so we, I, we introduced the documentary. It's, it, it goes, I've never seen it before. So I'm in the audience watching it along with everybody else. And then Mark's going to lead a discussion afterward. And when the credits were rolling on that documentary, I was furious that I had never been told these things before. I thought I knew about money. I'd started a business. I had managed our personal budget. We had, you yeah. know, we were slowly paying off our debt, like all the things. I, you know, I had my 
big Susie Orman book that I referred to anytime I needed to make a financial decision. And I was super furious. And so I forced him to sit down with us and break down the concepts from this documentary and how we could implement them and better improve our lives. And the first step was honestly making our savings work smarter. We'd always kept a little bit of an emergency fund, but it, you know, this was 2013. Interest rates were crazy low, like actually a little bit lower than they are now as the Fed's starting to raise interest rates. Um, But also anytime we used it, we tapped into the emergency fund, we lost even that little bit of growth. And, you know, all those kind of things. So that's the first thing we did was make our savings work smarter. And we actually, we stopped paying extra in our student debt. We instead put it into savings and into this uh, savings vehicle. And within two and a half years, we were able to pay off our student debt. This balance that slowly had ticked down for, you know, 10 years was now gone. Right. And it was, it was amazing. And that was like, okay, we, we got this now. We made that huge step two and a half years to pay off debt. Now let's go after some bigger dreams. Let's, you know, think about franchising. Let's think about starting a different business, expanding our revenue sources. All those kind of things became possible now that we had this foundation and we'd seen success with that foundation. Oh my goodness. That's, that's pretty amazing. And I think that's just such a crucial thing that I'm like, why is this not something that people are just like, I know it's everybody says this, but like we should be taught this in schools and you know, everything, right? Like the fact that you could, you know, pay off incredible amounts of debt or, you know, even go into school with a game plan right out the gate of understanding how you're going to get out of that debt. If people knew the same knowledge that, that you did, Mm -hmm. because I mean, some people might be paying that off for 20 years or 30 years or the rest of their life, you know? Yeah. 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 Although there, I do have this hesitation. If this were taught in schools, I know we'd be taught by whoever, like we'd be taught the principles that whoever has the most money to decide those principles would decide that's what we're going to be taught. And so I'd much rather have it passed down from parents to their kids, um, the principles that have worked for them. But the thing is, is that a lot of parents don't even know yet. They're in their forties and fifties and they haven't ever sought out financial literacy and beyond. So all this is pretty like tied into what you do now, right? Like this is exactly what you're sharing with everybody. Exactly. Yeah, we we sold that business. Um, and when we thought, what's next? We can't go back and work in a cubicle. Actually, we're unemployable now. No one's going to hire us. What do we do? And we yeah. thought about how that story with money had changed and how much we had learned. And we're like, we got to start sharing this with other folks. So we actually took Mark on as a mentor and he taught us how to do what he does uh, for other people. And we became bank on yourself professionals. A little while later, we became profit first professionals because we were working with so many business owners and the cash flow of their business was so important. And that's what um, profit first is really about is making your cash flow work for you um, and for the business at the same time. And it's been such a joy to see businesses not only survive the pandemic, but get even better. Right. Yeah, um, and, you know, pers- like actually that March of 2020, we had just moved from Chicago to Cincinnati. We um, actually our moving van arrived on Friday, March 13th, when everything was shutting down. And I wow. spent the next week calling clients, making videos for clients talking about, okay, 
this is exactly why we built a foundation. Here's what you need to, here's what you can use it for if you need, you know, when your hours are being cut or your revenue is being lost. And it was a beautiful thing. And I, I know I'm going to look back 20, 30 years from now and know like, that's when I knew that this wasn't just real for me. It was real for, you know, so many of the people that I work with. And it was the, you know, the case in point, the proving of the why I do all of this. And I'm super excited. I hope there's never a pandemic. I have, hope we never go through that kind of trial sure. again. Sure. But knowing that I'm helping people make sure they can withstand whatever personally might happen. Because we all know we're going to have, you know, life happens. We all know Absolutely. personally we're going to enter times like that. And to have that kind of foundation that we can know is there for us. And it's some of the most rewarding work. And... It helps people be more generous, helps them give more to their nonprofits, tithe, you know, the full 10%, whatever they want to be doing. And so yeah, I know I'm and, yeah. and like live into their passion, fulfill their purpose. It's all that world changing work comes right back to it, too. Wow, that's that's so neat. Imagine looking 20, 30 years from now and also being like, oh, my gosh, that that business is doing really well, you know, yep. and, and knowing you had a hand in that, that would be extremely uh, fulfilling, I would imagine. So. You know, I would I, I would imagine that you probably built up a, a little, you know, you started networking from your previous business. But what was the transition into uh, doing what you do now, like in terms of just getting out there and meeting people and getting that ball rolling? Yeah, it there was a lot of, you know, um, relational equity that we had from the previous business that really gave us a big boost. We didn't we didn't sell it for that much. We actually sold it to a nonprofit. We, we didn't like we basically got back some of what we spent to get the business started. We didn't have a lot of funding to get going. So yeah. but we had a ton of relational equity. Um, and that's really what we had focused on because this is a community coffee shop. We built community. Sure. There are people there'd be people that would come to buy coffee really because they wanted a conversation, not a cup of coffee. And so we leveraged that and that really helped us. But then also about four months in, we had a little one. And we took a little maternity leave and we had to start back up from there. We kind of lost some of the yeah. early momentum. But it was also like super rewarding to be able to build a business and build a little one at the same time, um, you know, Absolutely. at work at home, a totally different uh, way to live life and be a, an entrepreneur than what it was like starting the coffee shop, right? Um, as a family you know, I was, I would be working and breastfeeding at the same time, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah you're like, <laughs> you're like, I'm literally, no, that's, that, that would be really, uh, that, that would be really cool though. You know, getting to, to see like, oh, this is like a new chapter of life and figuring out how everything works. And, um, I don't know, just be such a good, a good, a good new challenge for your, for your brain and, uh, really exciting to add that to your story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Something I was also kind of wondering about. So obviously it's, you know, doing this is not, is not easy. So I, I just want to know, like, just generally your mindset about like, how do you guys stay so motivated? Cause you, you ran a, you ran a coffee shop, you sold it, you had a child. And then while having a child, you also are running like three different things in tandem, like going kind of nonstop. Like, what do you, yeah. What, how do you. Do that. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll be the first to acknowledge I 
Um, hi, my name is Amanda. I'm a workaholic. A little bit of that. <laughs> it's hard for me not to work. My so my yeah. my dad was part of the Greatest Generation um, or the Silent Generation, whatever you want to call them. He grew up during the Depression and we, in Appalachia. So we we he had the work ethic. He passed down to me. I've I've never not known what it was like to to be busy doing something. Yeah. It's actually hard for me to relax. So I'll put that out there first. And but then also I have that optimism. My mom's a boomer. She was the one that, you know, everybody gets a trophy, you know, for the kids and taught me, you know, you can do whatever you put your mind to. And so I got that kind of combination that I in inherited yeah. really set me up. And then add on to that, you know, finding a life partner that was as motivated as I was. Um, I hope you get to meet Brandon one day. A quick story about him when he was 18. He signed up for the Marine Corps just to prove that he could do it. Everyone, he had been wow. sick as a kid. No one thought physically he would ever be able to, you know, do much. He had to like be taught to um, walk and talk at like four or five years old. And so to like challenge himself oh to go after the Marine Corps. So I, maybe that's what attracted me to him was that drive that I recognized in myself yeah. too. So very fortunate there that I've had this team member along the way as well. Um, and then really, it's also seeing those hints of where, hey, this did make a difference. Hey, this person's life is different. Um, you know, that actually I just figured out a couple of days ago. So I'm, a, I'm about to turn 38 here next week. And when I look back well, to... Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, my birthday was uh, Monday. Okay. So we're both in ah, the same nice. season Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I looked back at those early years of the coffee shop, I was looking at what what was my income then when I was living on a dollar, two dollar tip tips in the tip jar. I yeah. realized that this year I will tithe more than my total income back then. Oh my god! Like how amazing is that in thirteen years to see that kind of transformation? And I know the next thirty years, I the sky's the limit still. Right. My best years yeah. are still ahead of me. Absolutely. Well, that would be extremely motivating. That's cool that you're able to to keep track of that and, and think of that way. I found that like breaking down micro goals and and looking at things a little more creatively is really uh really helpful. Uh the ways that you can pay back yourself is it's like, you know, it is it is those moments of realizing like, oh my gosh, I have the capacity to give more than I could, you know however many years ago, it's also like, maybe I have the capacity. When I hear business owners saying they haven't taken a vacation in five years, I'm like, you know, maybe it's giving yourself the capacity to take a, <laughs> take a vacation mm -hmm. too, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that's super, super cool. Um, so doing all of this, has your family and your friends and everybody always kind of supported you as as you've done something that's pretty unconventional, you know? No, we've absolutely had the naysayers and, you know, those that thought we were bananas uh, to go after this <laughs> and some that still do. Because, um, yeah. I mean, honestly, I have zero dollars in the stock market right now. And that's a choice that I've made. Very weird for a financial professional to say that, especially like to the public on a podcast. Most people <laughs> would think I'm I'm bananas. I've lost my mind. But it aligns with my values, aligns with who I am. And that's exactly what I want for all my clients too, to, to make sure they're clear. Like you mentioned, those goals, they know where they're going. They've set their sights on 
their future that they want and that they're creating both tomorrow and a thousand tomorrows from now and 10,000 tomorrows from now. And then let's make sure that everything aligns with that, that they get the vacation, that the money is aligned, all those things. And as long as folks are doing that, I don't think anybody's bananas. And so I've like given myself permission to do that despite the naysayers, despite what others would say. And I want to give every other person the ability to do that too. I love your approach because I, I think that everybody's looking for somebody else's set of rules and even listening to a podcast. I mean, you were talking about how, what's the most profitable job in the world and you know, it's, it's bankers. And I, I, I guess, I guess what I'm getting at is like the rules that are set in stone aren't necessarily what are the best thing for like yourself and what you get out of life. Uh, and it seems like that's something that you all prioritize a lot over there. Yeah, especially because a lot of those rules are from the 1980s and we accept them as if they've been true since the dawn of time. And what we really love to to do is bust some of those myths. That's part of why our podcast is called the Wealth Wisdom Financial Podcast, because then we can say, yeah. you know, what's really the hundreds, thousands of year old wisdom? How have people been building wealth for generations upon generations and it actually surprises a lot of people that they've never that's the exact kind of thing that we were never told either when we first watched that documentary that's the kind of things that we're sharing and spreading information about yeah what are some other examples of some conventional wisdom that you've been like since you've dove in that you've been like well i think i might challenge that a little bit yeah um Oh, there's so many that are coming to mind from recent episodes, or I'll give you a sneak peek in the next episode that's about to come out. I'm not, Ooh. it might already be out by the time this actually like is public and airs. Awesome. Um, but we're talking about adaptability and accessibility. And so many mm-hmm. people chase after a rate of return. If they are going to get, you know, eight, 10, 12%, doesn't matter. They're going to go after it where there are other values that we might want to consider how important they are to us and how we might prioritize those. So um, we go, we actually use the example of Charles Darwin. A lot of people, when they hear that name, they think exactly like survival of the fittest, you know, the strongest, mm-hmm. the best, that, that's who survives. When really yeah. his uh, whole thing was it's actually those that can adapt are the ones that survive. And if we're chasing after a rate of return, we might not be able to adapt and mm. and we can't you know um we can't adjust so to use this in a yeah. business example if we're just going after what's the most profitable business how can we make the most money and then something like a pandemic hits we might not switch to making ppe or hand sanitizer you know those kind of things cuz we've been chasing yeah. after this other thing we're becoming so much efficient that we don't have the capacity to adapt same with if we're putting all our money in the stock market. When the stock market goes down, we can't adapt. We have to wait till it mm-hmm. recovers before we can sell and not have, claim a big loss. You know, uh, those kind of things I just don't think are talked about enough. And yeah. so it's part of why we talk about it. You know, how can we make sure that we keep a flexibility and adaptability within our financial strategies? No, and I think that's really, really essential. I mean, even I think it's kind of like a commonly held business idea that if demand isn't there, you probably should take a moment to pivot 
but that applies to more than just your approach to what you're providing for a customer. Yeah. Right? Yep. And also the pursuit of efficiency is how we often get to a rate of return. We're going to produce exactly mm -hmm. the amount of products we know we can sell, not more, not less. But then if we become so efficient, we can't adapt when circumstances change nearly as quickly as if we have a little bit of space, a little bit of margin. So I love that, by the way. Um, but whenever you're thinking, because we've talked about, you know, running a business ethically and, and also managing your money ethically. And obviously there's a lot of different lines for how that might work for somebody, but I'd love to hear. Yeah. And, and from what you've been doing, what are some of the ways that you feel that a business can start inching towards operating more ethically yeah. based on some of the research that you've found? Yeah. The number one place to start is with your employees, including yourself and making sure we're giving fair not wages, not just a livable wage, but a wage that allows folks to live a good life and to pursue yeah. their goals and passions. And that includes us as the owners, but also all of our staff. Because it's, remember, we're starting with ourselves and then our immediate, right, the employees. And then from there, you can think all kinds of things about sourcing, who you use to run your payroll, you know, all the different uh, vendors. You can look at each one and say, do I believe in this company? Do I believe in where these products are coming from? How much transparency is here? And uh, that's really great. And then the third thing I would add is, you know, uh, how we how we um, use the money that flows through our hands. Yeah, sure. Support the local, P, you know, PTA, your kids, you know, school, um, support your faith organization and stuff like that. But also think about where you're storing your money, the bank that has your checking and savings account, where what you're using for retirement savings. It's not just about how we give, but also about how we save and invest and who we owe money to, who we're in debt to. We have to think about those spheres of the flow of money as well. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense because I think that is something that is often overlooked is, you know, hey, who, who are the people that are literally holding all of our money and our, you know, and their, uh, you know, our future in their hands, essentially. And what are they doing with that? Because, yeah, I, I remember like, a, it was multi, a long time ago, whenever I ran into the epiphany that I was like, wait a second. So all of my money that's in the bank can just be used to do like anything. That's so crazy. And that was something that I remember realizing a long time ago that shifted my whole perspective on things, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not even in you the know. bank. No, <laughs> it's just like a fake number. <laughs> uh, it's pretty, pretty wild mm -hmm. to, uh, pretty wild to think about. Um, you know, I, I just, I, I think it, that what you're doing is, is, you know, really, really great. What's been some of the kind of initial impacts that you've seen the podcast start making now that you've been vocalizing some of these things and creating an audience. Yeah, actually. So one of my good friends is an executive director of a nonprofit. And we did a podcast episode about um, ESG investing or impact investing, where you're thinking about, you know, the companies that you invest in and the good they're doing in the world. And you try to, you know, buy stocks in those kind of companies and stuff. And we kind of bust that open, break it apart. Is it really working? Those kind of things. And it was really super fun to hear her share that she took that podcast episode, shared it with this little group of other activists that she's a part of, and they had a whole discussion about it. 
and it was super eye-opening to them. Now, these are activists. I thought, oh, there'd be nothing new here that I would have shared, and yet it was something that was uh, unique and interesting enough that they needed to discuss it and say, like, how does this hit us? What's different here than what we've understood before? And when they'd already been thinking about impact investing and how they you know, decide where to invest their dollars, it was something totally new. And I don't know, that was recent story. I don't know exactly what's going to come from that. But it, that awareness, you know, if, yeah. if you've been in the nonprofit sector, you know, it's all about awareness, 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 you got to spread mm-hmm. the word, make sure more people know about it. That's really what the podcast helps us do. But then yeah. also changing that awareness into action. Because if we just get aware, we never take action, we get jaded. When we turn Absolutely. it into action um, is when we start to see the optimism and the hope and that we can make a difference. And so that we invite people every show to to reach out to us, to schedule an, an intro, see how we might work together. And sometimes we'll work together, sometimes we don't, but we always try to leave them toward a better path than if we they had never met us. I Yeah, I, I think that's great because planting the seed is obviously great, but if you can't be there to water it, yep. so to speak, yep. like you know, nothing, nothing might, might ever come to fruition. So that's a, that's, that would be really exciting to me to get to see that. And I can see how that would be something that I, uh, you know, I, I think even with doing this podcast, I experience a little bit of that too, Mm -hmm. where I've had people reach out to me and be like, Hey, you know, you shared a little bit of something that really, really, you know, stood out to me, uh, or the guests that I meet. Um, it's just really exciting how, uh, just being naturally curious and sharing that with others can can develop into something like that. Yeah, you never know what um, door's going to open from there, or what path that's going to lead you down the connection, the next connection, or those kind of things. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, what are you know some of the basics that you think people need to know about for finding financial freedom? Yeah, the mo- the biggest thing that I see is that. People kind of overcomplicate it. They pick up this strategy here. They listen to that piece of advice there. They end up with a totally chaotic uh, financial portfolio. They don't remember why they have this thing or that thing. I I liken it to a bucket of rocks. They're just carrying around um, spending money here, investing money there, you know, all these things. And what I really love to encourage people is that it doesn't have to be that complicated. Um, And to picture, um, you know how throughout history in all civilizations around the world, people have put rocks on top of rocks. It's called a carn, right? And you have a big rock Mm -hmm. at the bottom and you kind of stack it up. Maybe you have a bigger rock over on top of a smaller rock, but you you start with a foundation that it could really be that simple. You could have four or five rocks um, four or five financial products that are your whole financial world, way less to complicate and think about. Sure, you'll diversify within those rocks. They won't all be, you know, gold. Some of them might have a little bit of, you know, other mater- materials in them, stuff like that. Um, yeah. But it that we really can simplify it. And it starts with the foundation. And so many are building their uh, financial portfolios upside down. They're taking way more risk than they realize. And so I love to come come and kind of open our, our minds to, well, do we have to take that much risk? The world tells us we have to. The financial advisors out there tell us we have to. But do we really need to? And what would it look like if we had 
a foundation to build on top of from there. Such another uh, another good way to look at it because I feel like the bucket of rocks uh, analogy is something that I can definitely imagine. I hear people who have a little bit of something everywhere yep. and they probably forget about a lot of it, you know, mm-hmm. too, which is kind of funny. Uh, so yeah, doing that would be, I mean, I'm like, gosh, that would be so much, so much more simple. So I know our audience is going to get a lot of, out of uh, getting to hear about that. Another thing I was kind of curious about before we were chatting was, are there any myths that you hear about money management that you think it'd be good for anybody to know just for the record or are either not true or maybe could be dispelled a little bit? Oh, there's so many of them. Um, (laughs) I know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Oh. So I'm talking to people that are not they're planning on not being dependent on a W-2. They're building a business. They got a side hustle, something like that. And I think they've woken up to a lot of those myths that you can depend on your employer. You can depend on your 401k. Um, So um, maybe the biggest one I would jump into is that investing is saving. And when people talk about their saving in their 401k or their Roth IRA or their saving in their brokerage account, that's investing. And savings is different than investing. Uh, that's something that uh, you know the people that would have been our grandparents, the, the greatest generation, they talked about that all the time, that you have your savings, you save in your savings money that you cannot afford to lose, and you only invest money you can afford to lose. And we've kind of flip-flopped that. Back in 1952, I read this the other day, only like 5.4% of Americans invest in the stock market. Today, it's over 50%. Wow. Wow. And yet people think that's the only way you can build wealth is in the stock market. And yet, like our grandparents, they had some, they built some wealth. They lived good lives. They made great choices. They might not have done it perfectly. We can, you know, build on top of that, you know, stand on their shoulders, uh, so to speak. But there's a lot we can learn about how they live their lives simply, sustainably, how they saved first and then invested, things like that. Yeah, I think that's really cool the way that you uh, have studied previous generations and some of the trends that have happened around them. Uh, Even at the beginning of the podcast, you mentioned like, studying the past so that you can prepare for the future. And gosh, I can't remember who was saying this, but I was, I was reading that a true historian or like the way that this person defines a historian, isn't somebody that only looks at the past, but also studies the future Mm. and uh, you know, considers what's going to happen. So it seems like, yeah, you, you, you've, everything you've been saying is kind of added or in my mind has shown that you, you do a little bit of that and, uh, I, uh, yeah, I, it's given me some really great things to, to think about. You great. Know, it's really, really cool. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a little tidbit for you. Um, do you know when the U.S. dollar was created? No. When? What's your guess? I, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Mm, no, no. Uh, I, no, I'm happy to be put on the spot. Okay. Uh, uh, let me think. 18. I'm not going to Google it either. Um, I, I want to say in the 18... 50s. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was after the civil war, well after the civil war in the late 1800s, 
Um, before then, we used the Spanish dollar, and you, it was this coin, right? You had to carry a lot of it to yeah. move from place to place. And so little cities, uh, states, they'd have their own currency. Um, even like a bank would have its own bank notes, which would wow. be the form of cash. And it wasn't until the late 1800s when the U.S. decided to create a U.S. currency. But actually in the Constitution, the government's not allowed to create it. It says that uh, in the Constitution, it says that the U.S. can the government can mint coin, but it doesn't mention mm. printing money. So the constitutional purists said, well, if you want to create banknotes, you can't do that federal government. You got to figure out something else to do. And so they authorized the creation of the Federal Reserve Bank, which is not a part of our U.S. government. And it's not really a bank either. But that's who wow. creates our currency. Wow, that's that's uh, that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and it, well, it's like, pull a dollar out of your wallet, you'll see it says right there at the top, Federal Reserve note. Mm. It's just like the bank notes that would have been from a small, you know, bank. Actually, I can go to the museum here in Cincinnati and I can see the Cincinnati bank notes there from back in the day. Um and it, it's the exact same thing just on a national scale. Oh my gosh. That I yeah I had no idea. That's so so uh, interesting. Yeah, but totally transforms yeah. how you think about money. Absolutely, no, absolutely, because it's so like uh, yeah, it's it's just like I'm a sociology made major, you know, so I'm always like looking at things like oh yeah, that's just another example of something that is fabricated by yeah. society, yeah. you know, and <laughs> it's funny that how we just have, operate under these like rules that we've just spurred up mm -hmm. not even that long ago. Yep. So pretty fascinating. So much good stuff. I could go on and on. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's so cool. That's so cool. Um, so in wrapping up uh, towards the end of this, what I always like to ask the same two questions. One, what is the uh, favorite part of what you do? And then two, are there, is there anything that you tell somebody who's curious about becoming an entrepreneur like you? Yeah, um, these are actually going to tie together for me. Um, I ended up studying psychology in college. I went to liberal arts school, but I loved the social sciences. I chose psychology because of the fewest requirements. I could really take all the sociolo sociology and social science classes that I wanted. And that like love of people has really driven everything that I do. And I just love getting to know people, meeting with them, um, starting to build a relationship and then walk through that relationship for years. You know, some of my first clients, we've been meeting every six months for four and a half years now. And just to see that, you know, trajectory of their lives and know I'm going to be here for the next 20 or 30 years is I'm just so much looking forward to it. Um, and hopefully beyond, right. Um, building relationships, Absolutely. going deep with people that way. Um, and at least every six months, sometimes we talk more often and it's more of like a friendship kind of thing, not just talking about yeah. how their portfolio is doing or whatnot. And that's exactly what I love to tell entrepreneurs. One of the best piece of advices, piece of pieces of advice that I was given is to never do anything alone as much as possible, include someone else. Even if you're just going to pick up supplies at the store, have somebody in the passenger seat of the car or, you know, figure out a way to, if you're making brochures, you got to fold a bunch of pieces of paper, sit there and have a conversation with someone while you're doing it. Or, you know, be part of masterminds built that's really about the relational network more than anything else. And so pour into that, keep that in a place of priority, and it'll take you way further than it 
than you could go if you're just doing it by yourself. So powerful. I, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I feel like the biggest meaning of life in general, which is, I'm not going to be like, tell you, I'm thinking about the meaning of life on this (laughs) podcast or anything like that right now. Uh, everybody has their own, but at the end of the day, it's all about people and relationships. And that's, uh, you know, I, I love to hear that that's what drives you and, and what you do. So yeah, totally agree with that advice. That's, that's uh, some, some amazing insights. And uh, yeah, you've given incredible insights throughout the entire podcast. I really, really thank you for your time on this. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you, Amanda. Great to meet you too, Blake. I hope we get to build a relationship from here and do more and more together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where can everybody find you and look for all of your things at? <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you loved the insights and the the bits of wisdom that we shared here, all you got to do is look wherever you listen to podcasts or if you love watching YouTube, uh, look for Wealth Wisdom Financial and you'll find us. Um, and then our main website is grandmaswealthwisdom.com. That's where we actually invite you to reach out to us, schedule an intro call, see if we're a good fit to work together. And if we want to build a relationship that helps you break through to a smart, stable financial future. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Amanda. And everybody, this has been the Gym Series. I hope you have a wonderful day. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Gem Series, the podcast for anybody dedicated to investing in themselves. If you'd like to see the resources mentioned in this episode, learn more about what we are up to at Rocket Level, or come over and join our team, just click on the links below. Until next time, this is Blake Chapman, and remember to be awesome and do awesome things. 